I think we we finished up with starting on clindamycin. Is that right? We never went through clinda, did we? Okay. All right. Perfect. Because I mean, we, we definitely didn't talk about. Um, oh, can I turn this on? Let me see. Right there. All right here. Okay. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah, we did. Oh, so we passed Clinda? Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um. All right. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she said, oh, they're going to miss me. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. She's funny. She's a trip. <laughs> she was a doctor in um, in Cuba. And then she went to Venezuela. And she was a doctor in Venezuela. And then she came here and she did, you know, ARMP. And now she's she's working with us. But IDs, you know, IDs a different beast, you know. And she so she's... So sometimes she tells me, oh my God, you know, I, I mean, when am I going to learn this? And I say, well, it took me two years, <laughs> you know, when I did my ID fellowship. So it's, it's, it's a big, it's, ID's the biggest field in medicine. Mm -hmm. Like the chapter in infectious disease, like if you look at the, at the, um, thank you. Um, if you look at, thanks, awesome, appreciate it. If you look at the chapter in, um, in, um, in, um, um, in the internal medicine book, the biggest chapter is infectious disease. And it's because there's ID in every single organ system. So if you know ID well, you know, you got a lot of organ systems covered just because of the infectious uh, part or component of it. Um, salut. Salut. All right, so did we finish DAPTO or we just started? Okay, got it. All right, so, so daptomycin. Guys, I want you to think about daptomycin the same way that you think about vancomycin. So when you say daptomycin, basically, just remember, I mean, it even sounds like vanco, right? So daptomycin, vancomycin, it is the same drug for the same organisms. It's only for gram-positive organisms, okay? And it does cover MRSA. So the only difference that I want you guys to write from daptomycin to vancomycin are two. Number one, the first thing is daptomycin has no levels. Remember when we talked about vancomycin trough and peaks? You don't have to do that with daptomycin. So it's great, it's amazing. So <clears throat> with Vanco, you do have to do peak and troughs, but with Dapto, you don't. The second thing that I want you guys to remember is that Daptomycin is not good for MRSA pneumonia. So that is the difference between Vanco and Dapto, okay? Daptomycin does not treat pneumonia, why? Because it gets inhibited by the pneumocyte, how are you? By the pneumocyte um, uh, in the actual uh, alveoli. Okay, so interesting enough, if you have a right heart endocarditis, so for example, if you have right heart um, uh, vegetation and you're an IV drug user and you have MSSA in the blood, right? And that right heart is embolizing where? To the lung, right? So heart, lung, so you see the lung with little like bullets and that's called septic emboli. And that is all coming from your tricuspid valve, for example. <clears throat> so, um, those lesions that are on the lung are in a different region 
than the lesions that you get when you have when you have pneumonia. So when you have pneumonia, what's affected is the alveoli. The alveoli is when you know when you breathe, you breathe oxygen, and it goes all the way down to the mainstay bronchus, little bronchioles, and then down, 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 all the way to the alveoli, and that's when the gas exchange occurs, right? So that's the air part. The alveoli is the air part, but the other part is the interstitial part where it's irrigated by blood. They're different parts of the lung. So when you have a septic emboli, right, and you have like an infiltrate of septic emboli, and you have these little, these little, um, uh, little balls that you see, boom, 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 right over the lung, that's coming from your heart, your right heart. And so those lesions, if you give daptomycin, they're good. You can treat septic emboli with daptomycin in the lung. But you can't treat pneumonia with daptomycin in the lung. Okay, they're different areas. So daptomycin is the same as vancomycin. It covers all of the gram-positive organisms, including MRSA, including all the streptococci, including all of the enterococcus. If you're a gram-positive organism, you don't get away from, from daptomycin. You don't get away from vancomycin. Do you guys know that, that since vanco was, uh, I mean, I hate vanco just because of the levels, and it's very, very hard clinically to follow these patients like this. And so then they're always calling me with like levels, you know, like I'm, I'm watching a movie at 9 o'clock at night, and oh, you know, Banco level is, you know, whatever, uh, 6, you know, and I'm like, great, you know, wonderful, I got to go up on the Banco dose, right? But it's very hard because it gets metabolized different by everybody, so it's very hard, it's all over the place. With that though, <coughs> um, you don't have to do that. So, so it's kind of nice, but vancomycin, the nice thing about vancomycin is in the last 45 years that Vanco has existed, guys, there's very little times that you have staph aureus resistant to, to vancomycin. Like these, these, these MRSAs that are like heterovisas, that means that they're resistant to vancomycin, they're very few. They're very few and far between. So overall, vanco has been an amazing drug for the last 45 years, you know? So, you know, it's, it's just, it's hard to use, you know? Um, so, but Dapto is the same drug as Vanco. The only thing I want you guys to remember is the difference between the two. And those are the two differences. The, the number one is that it causes the, this, um, uh, sorry, you can't treat regular pneumonia. You have to treat um, uh, interstitial, right, part of the lung. So you, if, you have, if you have good septic emboli, no problem, you can treat septic emboli. The rest of the, of the stuff with daptomycin, the only other difference is number two, well, did, uh, did I give you number one already? Levels, right. So levels number one, and then number two is that one. Now, the other part that I want to, to let you know about Dapto is that this is the one that causes eosinophilic pneumonia. So remember, we went over one more. Remember which other one causes eosinophilic pneumonia that we talked about? Is one of the cephalosporins, the one, the only cephalosporin that co that that covers MRSA. There you go. So ceftaroline, the only cephalosporin that covers MRSA, is the one that gives you eosinophilic pneumonia in the same way that daptomycin does. Okay. So um, uh, for dapto, eosinophilic pneumonia is a big one. Okay. But that's that's one of the side effects. But the rest of the stuff for daptomycin, it has in vitro activity against MRSA, MSSA, and other gram-positive bacteria. It covers VRE, which is vancomycin enterococcus. Okay? So if you're resistant to vancomycin, as far as the, the enterococci, daptomycin is the drug. Right? Another thing that daptomycin um, doesn't 
it's, it's only approved for a couple of, 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 um, of indications. Skin soft tissue infection, including osteomyelitis. So you can give an osteomyelitis that penetrates the bone very well. Right heart-sided endocarditis, which we, dis we, which we discussed. Right? With or without bacteremia. Okay, so endocarditis with or without bacteremia. So those are the main indications for daptomycin. Outside of that, guys, it's always going to be outside of the clinic of, of the, of the, of the uh, uh, FDA approval. Okay? So it has received FDA approval for these things. So complicated skin with or without bacteremia endocarditis with staph aureus, including MRSA. And, and, and otherwise, it cannot be used to treat pneumonia. It does not achieve in, uh, enough concentration in the, in the alveoli in order to penetrate for, to treat for pneumonia, okay? So um, for DAPTO, uh, again, uh, a treatment involving, this is like a 246 patients with staph aureus bacteremia, 99 with MRSA, with or without endocarditis, were randomly assigned to DAPTO. Uh, or standard therapy of gentamicin plus an anti-staph drug or vanco alone. So remember, vancomycin versus daptomycin. And daptomycin was not inferior to vanco, right, when you, you were treating um, MSSA or, uh, in this case, it was MRSA bacteremia with, with, without bacteremia, but endocarditis, right? So in other words, the, the, the take-home point of this study or the big, uh, big take-home point of daptomycin is that it's not inferior to vanco when it comes to endocarditis, okay? All right. So let's go to the side effects of daptomycin. The big ones that I want you guys to remember. Number one, eosinophilic pneumonia. Number two, elevated CPK levels in your patient. So you have increased CPKs, and the patient actually tells you that they have myalgias. Okay, it's almost like a statin. Remember, like we've learned that statins can increase your, 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 your muscle enzyme and give you like muscle pain, lower extremity pain, et cetera, weakness. The same thing with DAPTO, it can do the same. As a matter of fact, um, we sometimes treat daptomycin and, I, and we leave the statins on, on, on the case. Or you, when you assume care of the patient that needs DAPTO, I usually leave the uh, statin on board. If I start getting CPK levels that are elevated or more than three times the normal, then I, I take the statin out and I continue with the DAPTO. And then if I continue to get these elevations, then you have to, look, you have to consider another therapy, okay? But daptomycin is one of those that you have to monitor with CPK levels, okay? So once, once a week is fine for monitoring CPK levels with daptomycin. Um, those are the big side effects that I want you guys to remember with daptomycin because the rest of the side effects with dapto um, really are like less than 1%. So there's no, there's no reason to um, let me make sure that I'm not missing anyone that's crazy. Okay, so CPK, eosinophilic pneumonia. All right, so nausea, vomiting, 6%, so you should probably know that. 5% headache. That's it. 5% headache. So headache, nausea, vomiting. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's talk. Any any questions on daptomycin? Because it's easy. You think the same way as Benko. And the only oh one more thing. I'm so sorry. Please don't use daptomycin for meningitis. It doesn't penetrate the blood-brain barrier. You got to go with Benko. There's a lot more data with with uh, see. When you come out with a new drug, there's not a lot of experience with different diseases. The longer a drug is in the market, the more you have had time to experience what happens to these patients when they get this drug. Right? So Benko has a long history, so we know what's up. Right? Dapto, that's why it, the, 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 uh, the use of daptomycin is more limited than Benko because we don't have a lot of experience. So for example, meningitis, we don't have a lot of experience with daptomycin. Um, that would be like a really off-label use and they'll never ask you that on your board, right? So on your board and on your pants, stick to the regular recommendations for daptomycin. And that is endocarditis, skin soft tissue infection, and endocarditis with or without bacteremia, okay? So that's it. And when are you going to use daptomycin versus vancomycin? Well, if the patient has an allergy to vanco, that's when you use it, right? Otherwise, vanco is always going to be your drug of choice for all these gram-positive infections of the skin and also endocarditis with MRSA, right? Vanco is going to be your first line or your first drug to use, okay? All right. So let's get into aminoglycosides. Aminoglycosides, Genta, Tobra, Amicacin. So um, these are the big three. Um, that we use in clinical practice. And aminoglycosides are an interesting uh, drug. Aminoglycosides are the, type of, are the type of class of antibiotics that I usually tell you guys, and I told you last class, is not the type of antibiotic that you use alone most of the time. Now, when do you use it alone? Eh, for a UTI, you can use it alone, and you can use it alone for, um, like, in drops, like eardrops, right? Like they do like tobramycin drops. You can do eye drops on tobramycin, right? So drops, UTI, and other than that, oh, um, so, so UTI and, um, and there's one more. Uh, you, can, you can treat skin with it. But other than that, guys, you don't use aminoglycosides alone, right? And the reason is the following. Number one, they are toxic medications. So there are nephrotoxic and they're ototoxic medications. So you don't use them a lot because of that. Number two, you cannot use any of the aminoglycosides for lung. Okay? Bless you. So for lung infections, the aminoglycosides don't get enough level to treat pneumonia. So for lung, if you guys are treating with, uh, with an aminoglycoside, you're not going to get an adequate level, and therefore you're not going to kill the bacteria. Okay, so only use um, uh, aminoglycosides in single do in single thing for UTI, and also maybe like in drops, like eye drops, ear drops, right? Because anything, and another thing, another concept to know, <clears throat> anything that's topical or in drops, and you're treating like a specific infection in a, in a, in a, in a localized tissue, that is topical antibiotic, the concentration of that antibiotic is so big that you're gonna treat anything. You know, it's concentration dependent killing. It's what we, remember we, I gave you guys the case of that UTI that had Levaquin and the Levaquin was resistant but the patient got better. It got better because it's swimming in quinolones, right? And it's the same thing. It's gonna get better because you're just putting it right there, right? So the bacteria have nowhere to go, right? So gentamicin, tobra, and amicacin. 
the amino acid size are anti-ribosomal. I, I think I had told you that this is the clean tag mnemonic, right? So tag is at the bottom, tetracyclines and amino acid inhibiting the, the lower or the smaller ribosome, which is the 30S, right? Yes? I was, can you explain that it's not included as well as I read that it was both 30S and 30S? Um, predominantly, all amino are going to be 30. Now, I know, I know what, you're, what you're referring to. If they ask you on the, first of all, they won't ask you on the board, they won't give you one or the other, because that's not fair. <laughs> it's almost like asking me, or asking you, of the fluoroquinolones, which more do they inhibit, topoisomerase or DNA gyrase, right? And they inhibit both. Now, it depends on the quinolone that you use, that one maybe is a little bit heavier to the other side, and the, maybe another, another one is more heavier to one side. So. So in general, just keep the 30S ribosome. They won't ask you that in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in your, on your pants. They're not going to differentiate that. Um, and I doubt it that they're going to ask you even the mechanism of gentamicin for sure, or, or any of the amino glycosides. I mean, if you want to know that some of them do have some 50S ribosome, and, but it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one to, you know, to discern or even ask you a question on. Okay, so stay. Stay with 30S and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so amino glycosides exit potent in vitro activity against a wide range of gram-negative pathogens. Guys, amino glycosides are only gram-negative organism-killing uh, organism uh, antibiotics. Okay, only gram-negative. That's it. And also, these, this is one of your anti-pseudomonal, right, antibiotics. So, um, so gram negatives is the is the mechanism of of, uh, of or the spectrum of activity of amino glycosides. They also demonstrate some in vitro gram positive organisms such as MSSA or Staph aureus. But guys, right now in the year 2022, you will never be asked for a staph infection to con um, to combine it with an anti-staph drug plus amino glycoside. That is over. They can't test you on it. You know why? Because it is it is um, it is not a, a standard practice anymore. Okay, there's still some clinicians that might do it, like an like a like an older clinicians that might think that oh well there is some synergy. Okay, I get it. There's some synergy, but the new studies have been, have shown that the addition of aminoglycosides plus an anti-staph drug only leads to more toxicity, and it doesn't improve neither the patient's t length of stay or the mortality. So right now, you don't do it anymore, okay? Know that there's some coverage, but you don't do it anymore. Now, I will talk to you about something that you will do. So the most frequent clinical use of amino glycosides is in combination with other antibacterial agents. In combination. Now look, this is the, this is the word that I want you guys to highlight, empiric. Empiric therapy for serious infections such as sepsis, nosocomial respiratory tract infections, complicated UTI, complicated intra-abdominal infections, and osteomyelitis caused by gram negatives. So what does this mean? Okay, so what this means is if you have the sick factor coming into the hospital and you're septic and you're coming from a nursing home, what do you guys, what do you guys think about when you're coming from a nursing home? Pseudomonas and what else? And MRSA, you've got to cover for both. Now, the difference between MRSA is that, how I told you guys, the real MRSA drugs, Vanco, Linacelid, right, those drugs, 
um, Tiger Cyclin, I mean, oh, sorry, um, uh, Ceftaroline. The real MRSA drugs, you have almost 100% chance, right, that you're gonna get it right. So it's not a big deal. There's no additional coverage that you need for that gram positive. But for Pseudomonas, it's different. For Pseudomonas, you can have a patient that comes into the hospital, right, with, um, is it, oh, here it is. So you can have a patient that comes into the hospital, right, and then you do sputum cultures, and on day three, you have sputum cultures that show Pseudomonas, right? So this Pseudomonas could be resistant to an anti-Pseudomonal antibiotic like cefepime, like piperacillin tasobactam, like ceftazidine, the Tasmanian devil, right? Like meropenem, right? Now, if it's resistant to meropenem, you gotta run. This is already a multi-drug resistant organism, and it's a, it's a disaster. But we'll talk, you guys are never gonna be tested on that. But the idea here is this. When the patient comes to the ICU, sorry, yeah, to the ICU from a nursing home, in your mind, you're already choosing an anti-pseudomonal and an anti-MRSA antibiotic, correct? Okay, so we're good. But you're gonna to say to yourself, well, the patient has a sick factor, meaning that the patient has sepsis and it's in full-blown, like they're about to die, right? Blood pressure's low, you're on pressors, um, patient's intubated, the whole, the whole shebangle, right? Now, when that happens, everybody agrees that you should double cover for pseudomonas. Empirically, that's why here the it's empiric therapy. So everybody agrees, right? The ICU, the Critical Care Society of America, IDSA, Infectious Disease Society of America, the medicine people, the uh, pulmonary people, uh, everybody agrees that you should double cover for pseudomonas. So on your test, if you ever get tested on this, right? The patient number one has to be severely or critically ill. Number two, they have to be asking you, they have, to be, they have to be giving you a drug, like if they're using for pneumonia, for example, they have to be giving you an, a primary anti-pseudomonal drug, right? So in other words, cefepime is your main drug, right, that you're using to treat lung. But then you wanna add a little bit of aminoglycoside sprinkle to go on top of cefepime, so that if that pseudomonas is resistant to cefepime, you have the aminoglycoside in the, bottom, in the top to keep you safe. Now, why is this important? It all depends on how, what's the risk of dying, right? So if you get the antibiotic wrong, and by day three, this is resistant to cefepime, and you did not have gentamicin on the top that is sensitive, the patient dies more. So for every day that you get it wrong, it's about six to 7% increased risk of dying for every day that you get it wrong. So on day three, if you got that wrong, the patient has an increased mortality of almost 21%. That's why it's important, and that's why everybody agrees on double covering for pseudomonas in a critically ill patient. That's why you see it here that says nosocomial respiratory tract infection. Why nosocomial? Well, nosocomial, this is healthcare-associated factors, which we already discussed, right? Um, complicated UTI means that, I mean, guys, if you see people, if you see a real pyelonephritis, that is complicated with hypotension and they are sick. The only, the only good thing about UTIs or complicated UTIs is that they die less when you compare them to a perforated gastrointestinal. Perforated gastrointestinal infections are the worst. They have the higher mortality more than the urine. Urine, 
we can treat, you know? They get sick, right? But after like the third day, you see the patient go like this. They get better. But with GI, ah, they linger. They're just, they're sick, 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 and then they come up little by little. But for urine, we clear it and, and they're really good. So if it's a complicated nosocomial infection and they're coming into the hospital, right? Please, if they give you a, an answer, right? And it says anti-pseudomonal alone, and then they give you an anti-pseudomonal plus an aminoglycoside, and the patient is sick, and you're suspecting pneumonia, or you're suspecting any other infection, like in the urine or whatever, everybody agreed that before you die, <laughs> you should be treated the best that you can. That's the point, right? That's the point. So think about aminoglycoside sort of as a little it's a little thing that you put on top of the primary antibiotic. You have to use a primary antibiotic. So you gotta use a primary anti-pseudomonal and then just sprinkle aminoglycosides on top. Can the primary be fluoroquinolone? The primary could be a fluoroquinolone. Yeah, you have to have a primary anti-pseudomonal. Correct. Now, what, and how can it be a fluoroquinolone? Well, sure, I mean, number one, they're really, really sick. Number two, they might have an allergy to penicillin. Right, so you can use a fluoroquinolone. So you can use a fluoroquinolone plus an aminoglycoside. Or you can use a beta lactam like cefepime, sosin, you know, all these other things, plus an aminoglycoside, right, to keep you to keep you safe until you get your cultures back. Now, after you get your cultures back, if your pseudomonas is sensitive to the primary antibiotic, right, like to the primary cefepime, <laughs> then you can stop the aminoglycoside. Why? Because the continuation of the aminoglycoside, once you have your primary big gun treating the, 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 the pseudomonas, the addition of aminoglycoside doesn't improve mortality. And it doesn't improve, and it doesn't improve morbidity, mortality, it just worsens your toxicity. Right? So once you have a culture back, take it out. You're good to go. Okay? So aminoglycosides, guys, think about aminoglycosides, really. The only time you're going to be using it alone, like for UTI, or if you use it for like, you know, topically, ear, eyes. Other than that, it's usually given like, like you know, not as a single therapy agent. Um, you can use it for osteo. You can use it for osteomyelitis. You can use it for like a bone infection, like long term. But again, aminoglycosides, long term, has a lot of side, a lot more side effects than than a beta lactam, for example, right? So remember that um, when we talked about Enterococcus at the beginning of class, I told you guys that Enterococcus is the only bacteria in infectious disease that you can't kill it within a bactericidal way, beta lactam. Remember, and I told you guys in order for you to be bactericidal with Enterococcus, you have to do what? You have to give it what? you got to do two antibiotics, right? You have to give ampicillin and rocephin together, or you have to give ampicillin plus gentamicin, or vancomycin plus gentamicin, or daptomycin plus gentamicin, right? you got to use two drugs to kill enterococcus, yeah, because if not, it's going to die slowly. And if enterococcus is, let's say, um, if you have an enterococcal uh, infection, for example, and, and this enterococcus um, is, is a severe infection, like positive blood cultures, um, hypotension, perforated gastrointestinal tract, anything like that, and the enterococcus is like that, you have to treat it with two drugs. 
So for severe enterococcal infections, you gotta treat it with two drugs. And aminoglycosides happen to be one of the most common drugs that you can use it with synergy to kill it. And remember I told you guys about, about the, um, about the, you know, the uh, case that the patient had endocarditis and renal failure, and the attending kept telling me to push, right? That's the problem with aminoglycosides, that they give you nephrotoxicity, particularly when you combine them with other antibiotics, okay? <clears throat> so a reasonable estimate for renal toxicity is about 10 to 20%. Even when the careful patient selection and close monitoring is performed, in most cases, aminoglycoside toxicity is reversible. Is that just by cutting the medicine? Yeah, by stopping it, yeah. I, I, so when I, when I graduated, the first week that I had already, um, that I was in, in Miami, I, I left New York City and I came to Miami, and the first week that I was in practice, uh, I was in, in practice in, in, um, in here, in, in Miami. And so in my hospital in New York, the main aminoglycoside that we had was tobramycin. So tobramycin, the dose of tobramycin was 15 milligrams per kilo. The dose of gentamicin is five milligrams per kilo. So here, the hospital here had gentamicin, not tobra. So I see gentamicin and I, I'm used to doing 7.5 7 milligrams per kilo. Right. So, or 15. Right, so you triple. So I tripled the dose. So I gave gentamicin, I wrote it. Gentamicin, 15 milligrams per kilo, IV daily. First dose, stat, <laughs> right now, right? Perfect. So the next day, I get into the, into the room, and, and, I, and I go see the patient. The first thing that I always ask is, how are you doing with the antibiotics, right? Any rash, any nausea, any vomiting, any diarrhea, how do you feel, right? What's different, right? So as soon as I get into the room, the patient says, like, doc, I am so dizzy. And the moment that I try to get up, everything spins. And at that moment, I said, ooh, I think I screwed up. <laughs> and when I looked at the chart, the pharmacy didn't call me, the nurse didn't call me, nobody picked it up. That's the way errors happen in medicine. A lot of times, you know, they call you for like the dumbest things in the world, you know? But when they have to call you, they don't call you. <laughs> So, so I told the patient, I said, I said, I said, I have one good news and one bad news. The first good news is that I don't have to give you any more, any more aminoglycosides <laughs> for like three days. The bad news is I gave you the wrong dose, but you are going to get better. Don't worry. I'm going to give you some stuff for nausea. I'm going to give you some stuff for vertigo. It is what it is. Right. So, so anyway, but that is, the, the, the toxicity is real, okay? It's real. I mean, they get it like right away, right? Um, particularly when you like go some triple. <laughs> anyway, all right, so show manifestations of vestibular toxicity, disequilibrium, they, actually the patient couldn't even walk to the bathroom. He had to be helped. Um, so, and then and he also had the, the uh, tinnitus. He didn't have any hearing loss um, or anything, but a lot of these things are reversible. So you, you know, you, you give him, I had given him, I had given him the gentamicin because I was worried about pseudomonas and I was, and, and the guy actually came in really, really sick. So, I had three days, yeah, yeah, two or three days. By the, by the second day, <clears throat> if you don't dose it, you don't dose it again, by the second day, the patient's getting better, yeah. All right, so big side effects of 
of, uh, of, uh, of amino glycosides. So number one, obviously, renal toxicity. <coughs> number two, um, I also want you guys to think that renal, or I want you guys to know that renal toxicity is worse when it's used in combination with the beta-lactam antibiotics. Okay, so any beta-lactam. Okay. By the way, there's no known method to eliminate the risk of amino glycoside um, or renal toxicity, okay? So it doesn't matter what you give the patient before. You, it doesn't matter if you give them steroids. It doesn't matter if you give them Benadryl. All of that stuff does not work. Um, so we went over vestibular toxicity, autotoxicity, and we went over the, um, uh, the renal. And that's it, guys. There's no more side effects of... They're generally, they're generally pretty well tolerated, as long as you don't give them like extra doses. You know? So, okay. All right, so let's move on. All right, any questions on, on, on amino glycosides? Guys, the easiest thing about amino glycosides is, number one, only good gram, for gram negatives, anti-pseudomonal, usually used in combination, right? If you want to use it alone, you can use it like for, for something simple like UTI or, or, um, or topical. And um, please be careful with all the toxicities of, of amino glycosides. And they became really popular with enterococcus. That enterococcus is super, super cool, you know, because you should be able to kill it alone with like a beta-lactam and it doesn't die. It's pretty cool. All right, so linazolid. Now, <clears throat> linazolid, so if you guys want to make like a little table, Vanco, you want to do it? <laughs> so like where, where do you use one or how do they differentiate between each other, right? And by the way, this is a good, this is a good method to, to study, right, when you're... So, look. Salud. Dato. Line solid. All right. So look at this. We're going to start in the brain, and we're going to go to the toes. Look. Brain. What do you think from an angiotis for vancomycin? Yes or no? Good for you. Dato? Good for you. And the nasal in? Nope. <laughs> Listen, you can, but but it the, you you guys are not going to get a resistant organism on your pants for meningitis. Okay, it's not going to happen. I'm going to get it on my board or on my recertification that was coming up like in 2023, and I'm I'm already like thinking about it. Uh, anyway, I swear, I, I, I swear I'm not going to study for it, I swear. I'm just going to test and take it. I'm not going to study. I swear, I'm so, I'm like so done with studying, I'm so done. I'm so done. Like, and look, alright, so, you know, so, so what can happen? Right? I mean, I fail it, okay, so what, I'll take it again, now I'll study, you know? If I pass it, I'm good. All right, so, um, 
No. No, it's it's bad, it's bad. It's bad. Actually I have I have two paths. I have I have the path of doing like these these um these modules or these like this extended you know thing uh, to like recertif to recertify or I could just take the test and like it's so tempting to just like just take it you know because I know I'll, I'll probably pass it with you know no problem but but whatever I, I just I'm afraid the, the only reason I'm afraid is because transplant I don't do I, I trained with transplant but I haven't done transplant like in 16 years so transplant is a little weird. Maybe I'll be like some transplant and then show up. I, I don't know. So, no, we'll see. I'm thinking about it. So sinusitis, what do you guys think with vancomycin? Yes. So you know what? Every time I ask you about a, about a, about a disease process, since vanco has been around for 45 years, the answer is usually yes. Because that's the one. That's the one that we have more experience with, right? So, so sinus, yes. Dapto, yes. For sinus, but well, actually, no, no, let, me, let me take it out and let me stay with the FDA indications. And the nasalid, yes or no? What do you think? Yes. Yeah. Lung, vancomycin. Yes. Dapto. No. Nope. And linazolid, yes. So when they compared linazolid with vancomycin. Um, <clears throat> So how do I say that? All right. So when they compared it, there was a part of that trial that linazolid outperformed Venko. But it almost met statistical significance. Like it's like statistical, statistical significance is, you know, that 0 0.05, whatever. And, and it was like 0.4. And then the, the other metrics, we also found out that linazolid has a lot more lung level than vanco. So three hours after you administer vancomycin to somebody and you try to get levels in the lung, zero. Three hours after you administer linazolid, you get levels in the lung, there were levels. So for me, from an infectious disease standpoint of view, concentration is important. So for me, this is a much better drug than, than Venco. And when they compared it to vancomycin, they compared it with perfect vancomycin trough levels between 15 and 20. It was like perfect. Everybody's gonna have 15 to 20 of vanco trough. Good luck. Doesn't happen in real life, right? So that means that in real life, if a patient is below 15, right? Who knows? Maybe they're doing worse with MRSA pneumonia. Right? So, lung, yes, yes and no. Abdomen. Banco, absolutely. Daptomycin, no. Linacinate, yes. Uh, see, dapto is, out of, out of these three, you see how daptomycin is more of a special niche? So, dapto, think of, you know, <laughs> Infective endocarditis, like, like we said before, skin soft tissue, including bone, and right or, or lung septic emboli. Right? And really, this is like, uh, there are gram positives, right? So this is either Staph aureus or MSSA or Enterococcus or whatever, right? 
But so, all right, so abdomen, GU, GU trap. So how about for the GU? Yes for Venko, no for Dapto. Actually, Daptomycin has really, really poor urinary levels. Really poor. And linazolid, yes. GU, um, this is skin, skin soft tissue, so it's yes, yes, and yes. Infective endocarditis, i.e., gram positives, obviously, yes. Yes, only in, it's only approved for right heart, okay? Right heart, salute. For, for, for daptomycin, right heart endocarditis. That's the FDA approval. Can you use it in left? Yes. Are they gonna ask you that? No. Okay, so right heart endocarditis with or without bacteremia. And this is for MRSA, and MSSA, all that stuff, okay, for DAPTO. Uh, here, I should put for daptomycin, no, but yes, if it's interstitial, right? Interstitial, so lung emboli. Okay, so, oh, and then effective endocarditis, linacillin, yes, but it's only in really, really severe cases where you don't have vancomycin available and also VRE, right? And you and you guys are gonna see why linezolid is not the best choice, probably um, um, for, um, for an infective endocarditis, is probably the better choice is probably Dapto because it's less toxic. And I'll tell you guys why now with, uh, with linezolid, why it's less toxic. So infective endocarditis and then um, osteomyelitis of the foot. Banco, yes. Daptomycin, yes. And linacillin, yes. Because it's skin soft tissue. Now, if it's osteomyelitis, how long do you guys treat osteomyelitis for? Six weeks. Okay, so now, so let's go over the duration. Calvarium. So if your skull has a bone infection, how long do you treat? Eight weeks. So remember this, calvarium, sternum, right? And vertebra, eight weeks. The rest of the osteo, like for the long bones, are six weeks. And septic arthritis, like or, or, uh, or, um, or septic knee, like a like an you know like a septic joint, four weeks. Just to give you an idea, they're never on the pants going to test you on duration of therapy. They just want you to know that what you want to do. That is for you guys, okay? But it's an easy way to remember it, right? So six weeks, six weeks, and vertebra six weeks. So just think of like the most important things in your in your body, brain. I mean, sorry, eight weeks. So eight weeks. So think about the more important part of your, of your body: brain, heart, heart spine. and spine. Right? That's that's eight weeks. Okay, that's eight weeks. All right. So. Okay. Um, you're still. I think you're still with me. I think you're still engaged. Okay. So.
So um, if not, we'll, we'll switch to STDs. tolerate vanco, like if vancomycin, they have like nephrotoxicity or like renal failure, then Dapto is the next is the next uh, thing that you would use. Because that's the nice thing about daptomycin too, that it doesn't cause nephrotoxicity. Okay. You know, because I didn't remember, I, the, the only side effects of Dapto was eosinophilic, eosinophilic pneumonia, CPK levels, nausea, vomiting, and headache. Really good, yeah. So, all right, so linazolid. All right, so, so linavalid is used in the treatment for vancomycin-resistant enterococcus, or VRE infections. It's also used for staph aureus, including MRSA, streptococcus pneumonia. Now, look, all of these, like, the way that people teach ID, don't, don't even, it's not, it's not even important to know the organisms. Just know your gram-positives, because your gram-positives are very few. So if I tell you that a drug is covering gram-positives, all of these here are gram-positives, right? There's not one gram-negative that linazolid that kills, or vancomycin, or daptomycin. There's not one, right? So it doesn't even matter. You know, yeah, strep, oh yeah, strep is a gram-positive. Oh, staph, yeah, strep, staph is a, oh, enterococcus, yeah. All the caucuses, all those are gram-positives, you know? So, so just remember that. Um, CAP post-influenza, so community acquired pneumonia post-influenza. Does anybody know the, um, the, uh, um, what you call this, um, the link between if you get flu or influenza infection and then you come to the hospital with acute shortness of breath, cough, fever, and hypotension, hmm. but you're really, really sick, you know that link? So post-influenza, for some reason, you get predisposed to having staph aureus pneumonia. Now, don't ask me why. It just happens. I, there are postulated um, reasons, which means that you know, flu brings your immune system down, and then you aspirate staph, and then you know, the staph has a field day because you're already down, you know? So, same thing with mycoplasma, like if you get like an, a viral infection or you get any other type of infection and all of a sudden you get a superimposed bacterial infection, you're already down. So it, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't boast well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something that happens. So if you have a patient, if I give you a, a patient in, in, uh, on, on, a, on a question that says, oh, patient was diagnosed with influenza infection last week, all of a sudden patient comes into the hospital, acute shortness of breath, Right, hypotension, pneumonia. Uh, what is the best antibiotic choice that you want to give? You you better cover staph. You better cover MRSA. Okay, because post flu, that is super super important. So you have to give. So coming from the community, right? What would be your regimen for community acquired pneumonia? Because we, we went through it. So what do you guys want to choose for community acquired pneumonia coming in, coming in patients? So you meet CURB 65 criteria. So how? What do you want to choose? Okay, Levaquin alone, good. What else? <laughs> oh, but then Levaquin, but now what do you want to add? Post-flu. 
Now you want to add Vanco or linezolin. You can't add Dapto because it doesn't cover lung. Right. But that patient, if they had an allergy to penicillin, you would give them Levaquin plus linezolin or Levaquin plus Vancomycin. Right? And, and you don't have to cover atypicals because Levaquin covers atypicals. Right? So you don't have to add that azithromycin thing. Right. The other choice that you have is azithromycin plus triaxone, very good, plus now post-influenza, linazolid or vanco. Right, so that would be the regimen for a community acquired pneumonia post-influenza coming to, into the hospital. Okay? Okay, good. So um, linazolid, again, inhibits um, synthesis, synthesis by binding to the bacterial 20, uh, 23S ribosomal RNA of the 50S ribosomal subunit. <clears throat> so, yeah, ribosomes are crazy. So that's why, you know, I tell you guys, stick with the main part because within each ribosome, you have like subtypes of the each ribosome. So you get, it's a little, a little crazy. So anyway, linazolid is bacteriostatic against enterococcus and staph and bactericidal against most strains of streptococcus. Okay, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually not a, a super good drug, but it works very well and has a lot of um, concentration in the lung. The bacteria static drug, uh, the bacteria that get static against, do they eventually die? Yeah, they die. Yeah, it's just, they just take longer to die. That's all. They're gonna die, <laughs> but it just takes longer to get there, you know? and. And, and part of, of you treating an infection is um, getting rid of that bacterial load. Like when you have a severe infection and you, and you have a positive blood culture, you'll see like 10 to the fifth power of bacteria in your bloodstream. Those bacteria are producing a lot of toxins. They're producing these toxins that are activating your immune system. And that is all causing havoc, hypotension, you know, all these other things. And so the, the earlier you can kill and get rid of that, of that log of bacteria, the, more you're, the quicker you are to start recuperating. That's basically what it is, okay? Um, so these are the adverse side effects of linazolid. So diarrhea, 10%, thrombocytopenia after two weeks. This is a big one, okay? Guys. With linazolid, you get two weeks free pass. You can write it just like that on your notes. With Cyvox or linazolid, you get two weeks free pass. Like nothing happens with your right blood cell count and nothing happens with your platelets for two weeks. Like all the studies that have been done with linazolid at two weeks, no one has reported that within less than 14 days you get thrombocytopenia or leukopenia or myelosuppression, right? So nobody reported that. Now, after 14 days, people started reporting it. So that means that you get two weeks of a free pass with linazolid for this type of, of, of the side effect profile, okay? Now, <clears throat> this is also the reason that you can't give linazolid for osteo. Osteo six weeks, right? So if you're pushing linazolid and you're past two weeks, guys, Believe me, you're going to start seeing the leukopenia, you're going to start seeing the thrombocytopenia, you're going to start seeing the rash, you're going to start seeing the, the myelosuppression, right? You'll start seeing all of that. Like after two weeks, you'll start seeing it. Like week three, week four, like sometimes in ID, 
right? We get the crazy cases, obviously, right? And I have to give the nasal for six weeks. Don't ask me how I do it, but I do it, right? <laughs> I actually give them um, Neupogen. I give them GFS stimulating for the bone marrow. So I give them, I give them bone marrow stimulation so I can complete the course, <laughs> you know, because, right? But that's, you know, nobody's ever going to ask you that. So peripheral and optic neuropathy with vision loss with long-term use. Another reason that you don't use Cybox long-term. Okay, so see what I mean? So again, Vanco still rules. Still rules, right? It's hard to use, but still rules, you know? So uh, thrombocytopenia after two weeks, diarrhea. So these are the big ones, okay? Then you can also, this is another good, good one that you have to know, serotonergic syndrome. If you have, uh, if you're on an SSRI, or if you're on, if you're on, on um, uh, any of the psych medications, um, uh, please be careful <clears throat> with serotonergic syndrome. I've had this happen to me um, in a rehab center where they start, where we started um, linazolid because the patient had VRE, and we had to start um, this drug, and they didn't have anything else available in the formulary. So, and and uh, and the little the little old lady was. You know, like the following day, we knew. You know, she was she had confusion. She was agitated. Um, she was hyperreflexic when you when you did her when you did her her exam. Um, she was shivering. She had a fever. She was tachycardic. Blood pressure was high. So typical, right? So serotonin syndrome. All right. Any questions on um, on lenicillin? It's uh, it's it's nothing else but an but an increase of your serotonergic pathway. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it does it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, alone it doesn't do it. You have to be on on, on medications. Yeah, so really, it's it's a it's a it's a drug drug interaction more than more than a single drug, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. So. Uh, you want to take a break? No, go. Go, 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 go. Okay. All right. So let's talk about nitrofurantoin, and then so this one, so these two, nitrofurantoin. See, because we're almost done. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about nitrofurantoin and fosfomycin. All right. So these two drugs are fun because these two drugs we're always we're all we're also going to do a little a little table. Okay. I was planning on, on, on doing some bike riding this weekend, and then I saw the weather, and I was like, ooh. Like some storm went through Mexico, and then it's like, we're gonna get a lot of rain, I guess. Yeah, it was great. All right, so, all right. <clears throat> These two antibiotics. So, nitrofurantoin. And phosphomycin. only thing that I want you guys to use these antibiotics for are two things, urine and prostate. 
That's it. Urine and prostate. And when I say urine, I don't mean your kidneys. This is not pilo. It has to be urine only, right? So bladder down. This is pure urinary. None of these drugs will treat pyelonephritis because these drugs do not penetrate the kidney. You know how you remember it? Look at when you take these drugs orally, right? And it gets absorbed. It goes all the way through the glomeruli of your kidney and it goes into the urine, but it doesn't even touch the kidneys. It just goes right through and it's just urine. Gets to the bladder and then out. And prostate if you're a man, obviously, right? So, all right. All right, so, um, all right, so, so think about it as urinary antigens. I mean, uh, sorry, antiseptics, oh my God, antigens. Urinary antiseptics. Right? Now, so obviously, forget about brain, forget about sinus, forget about lung, forget about abdomen. So this is GU. So GU for nitrofurantoin, can you use it for GU or UTI? Yes. Can you use phosphomycin for UTI? Yes. Now, this is UTI, and here we're going to put pylo, <coughs> pyelonephritis, or upper kidney infection, and it's a no, and it's a no. Prostate, nitrofurantoin, no. Phosphomycin, yes. So that is the difference between phosphomycin and nitrofurantoin. Now, remember, the good thing about these antibiotics is if you remember them, just put them together on your notes. Nitrofurantoin, phosphomycin, urinary antiseptics, okay, I'm only using for urine and prostate. Yeah, no more. That's it. Okay, so let's go into nitrofurantoin. It's a miscellaneous antibiotics. It inhibits... They don't really know how it does it. So they give you all this crap. Inhibits DNA, RNA, and whatever. So, yes? You know, um, <clears throat> since, so nitrofurantoin has been around for such a long time, and it's actually an antibiotic, right? And right. The, main, the main niche for nitrofurantoin you guys are going to see is that a lot of OBGYN <coughs> use it. Like if you're pregnant, nitrofurantoin is like the drug of choice. It's like a lot of people use it because it's very benign. Look, it just goes to urine. It doesn't get absorbed anywhere else. So the side effect profile is very little, you know, so you don't really mess around with a lot of things, right? Um, so, so that's the thing about nitrofurantoin. Now, when it comes to phosphomycin, I'll tell you a little bit more. Phosphomycin, I prefer it more in males that I'm thinking prostatitis. Um, it's also easier to use than nitrofurantoin because it's one dose and it lasts an entire three days for phosphomycin. So, you know, it really, it really depends. It's also harder to obtain in pharmacies. 
so there's a little bit of a um, you know of a, um, yeah of, of just being easy to 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 attain or easy to, pres to, to prescribe a lot of the insurances don't like you know um, they, they don't cover it so it, you know it's hard to I mean me either one of these is fine as long as your bacteria is sensitive to it and have very little side effects you know so so anyway only use for urine that's it right nothing else be careful after 37 weeks sorry after 38 week pregnancy listen once your term 37 weeks and above don't use nitrofurantoin because it causes fetal anemia okay it causes like the hemolytic anemia in the fetus and in bilirubin and so mostly hemolytic anemia in baby uh, so you can't use it and and it's funny because um, I, I trained in a huge transplant center and we saw like all these complex patients but I wasn't exposed a lot to OB during my fellowship I mean we did like I think like maybe like I don't know maybe during, in my entire fellowship of two years I, I think I maybe saw like five or six OBGYN patients and mostly it was like chorionitis and, and postpartum fever and all these other things and not like these and so obviously I get here and and I and I see a pregnant woman and she's 38 weeks or 39 weeks and she had a UTI in the hospital and she was you know she wasn't delivering yet and I come and I give nitrofentoin and the OBGYN OBs that they don't call I mean these guys are like they don't usually call you you know to like I mean OB is like a, a, a very nice niche right and they know their stuff extremely well but you take them out of that and you know they don't really get into it you know they'll be like no 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 go see somebody else or go you know go see a specialist right and I get, I get a call from OBGYN telling me hey are you sure you want to use nitrofurantoin in this patient and I'm like but yeah but why and she's like oh she's 38 weeks and it, I think it causes something with the baby, he said to me. I said, ooh, I said, hold on. So I looked it up and yeah, the guy taught me something, you know? Uh, and, I, and, and I had never seen, I, I, I just, and maybe I read it, but nobody brings it up to you, you know? So, so anyway, um, but that was good, and, I, and, I, and that was a good one. So, so anyway, um, it's so much for like proving myself in the first like month, you know, in the hospital, you know? It's always like your, your initial thought. You know, I'm going to do so well, you know, and, you know, anyway. So don't use after 38 weeks, so be careful. Uh, don't use if your creatinine clearance is less than 60. Look, guys, all these urinary um, um, uh, um, antibiotics, so if your GFR is less than 60, it's because of a reason, right? What's happening? In your glomeruli, it's closing up. And these antibiotics don't make it into the urine. So, you're giving them for nothing. So if your GFR is low, please don't give nitrofurantoin. Phosphomycin is better. Phosphomycin would penetrate. Nitrofurantoin, don't do it. Okay. Now, what are the side effects of, of nitrofurantoin and, and, um, and, and what, are, what are the big niches here? Okay. so. If you're on nitrofurantoin long-term, a lot of people stay on nitrofurantoin because they have recurrent UTIs. And so in these people that have chronic nitrofurantoin, you have to do pulmonary function tests every six months because they can cause pulmonary fibrosis long-term. Number two, 
G6PD hemolytic uh, uh, crisis. So if you have G6PD, you can get hemolysis. If you have nitrofurantoin, um, they're good. So nitrofurantoin is also good for ESBL organisms. Remember we talked about the ESBLs? Like these are the ones that you poke the bear, right? So if, if you have an ESBL E. coli in the urine and it's sensitive to nitrofurantoin, you can use it as long as it's for a UTI, no pilo, guys, remember. And I should, I should write that again here. No upper kidney infection, okay? No pilo guys. Okay. So anything else with nitrofurantoin? Yeah. Yes. I have a question. Does it lower GFR? No. Mm -mm. Not that I know of. Um, you can't give it with low GFR. But I am not sure that it causes a lower GFR. You know, a, 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 a GFR is really is really an indirect way to measure nephrotoxicity. Um, in general, um, a low GFR is given by any chronic process of the glomeruli. That's generally. Now, there's one, there's one exception is age. I mean, guys, you could be super, super healthy. And at 70 years old, you're going to have renal failure. It's just that, do you know at what percent so you have two kidneys, right? You know at what percent you're actually creatinine or your GFR, um, sorry, to what point in percent of function you actually have an increased creatinine. So by the time you see an elevated creatinine that is part of GFR measure, right? Um, at what point of, that, of those kidneys do they have to be gone for you to have an elevated creatinine? Like what percent? Is it 80% of your kidney function has, I mean, sorry, is it 20% of your kidney function that you get? You start getting creatinine elevation. Is it 30, is it 50, is it 80% of your kidney function that's gone for you to get creatinine that's elevated? What do you guys think? You know what it is? And the easy way to remember it, think about it this way. One kidney functioning is when you start getting an elevation in creatinine. So you have to be more than 50% of your total kidney function gone for you to see an elevation in the creatinine. Right? So in transplant patients, right, if you have a creatinine of, if you have only one kidney, when you transplant, you transplant one, one kidney. Um, and so when you have transplant, have only one kidney, they put it like in different areas, but when you have that one kidney, usually, usually the creatinine of that one kidney is very, very well, like, they, they measure it, and usually it's around between 1.1 <laughs> and 1.5, because there's only one kidney, and screening everything, right? So 50%, 
of your kidney function has to be gone for you to say, so don't ever look at a lab and say, oh, creatinine is normal, this patient doesn't have renal failure, uh-uh. You, you have to take age into consideration, you have to take the weight of the patient into consideration. So you can either do the, the MD uh, uh, formula, like the, the uh, um, for, for, to calculate GFR, or you can do your gout formula to calculate it, but it has to be, you have to take into consideration creatinine, age, weight of the patient, and it's important, it's important. So, so like in a patient that has 70 years old and they have a creatinine of one, and you know, on the lab, the creatinine won't even flag if it's not more than 1.3 or 1.5, right? But that patient has renal failure already. That patient is probably at 50%. So, you know, so anyway, so good for our gram-negative organisms are ESBLs. So look, guys, since nitrofurantoin and phosphomycin are good for urinary infections, by definition, you know that most UTIs are secondary to E. coli, right? So mostly gram-negatives. Now, there is, uh, uh, there is phosphomycin that can also cover some gram-positives, like enterococcus, but we'll go over now phosphomycin. So any, any question on nitrofurantoin? So the only difference between nitrofurantoin and phosphomycin is that phosphomycin is gonna use, be used for prostatitis because nitrofurantoin doesn't penetrate the prostate. That's the only difference. They're both PO, by the way, no problem. So phosphomycin is also a miscellaneous antibiotic, so we have like, you know, maybe a little bit of an idea how it works. Um, and so diarrhea, 10%, vaginitis, 8%, those are the two big things that I want you guys to remember with phosphomycin. Those are the ones that are higher than, than 2%. Used only for urinary infections, just like nitrofurantoin. Do not use for bacteremia or complicated UTI. You guys already know that. So nothing, don't use nitrofurantoin and don't use phosphomycin for pyelonephritis. Excellent prostate penetration, good for gram-negative, even for ESBLs. Guys, these two drugs are lifesavers for me. You know why? Because if you have an ESBL organism, right, in the urine, the only two oral antibiotics that I could use in the urine are these two. Those are the only two. And the majority of the time, phosphomycin is the one that saves my life because I can't give nitrofurantoin because the patient is a diabetic and they already have renal insufficiency and the GFR is less than 60. So then now I only have one drug, oral, for a UTI. And you know what? What would I have to do if, if phosphomycin wasn't around? I would have to admit the patient or send somebody to their house, put a pick line or a mid line and give them IV antibiotics. What is the antibiotic that I've told you guys for ESBL that you have to give? Maybe I didn't tell you it that clear. All right, so this is, this is something that's important, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. All right, so, so you can have ESBL infection. Yes, yeah, sir, carbapenem. So you can have ESBL infection in every part of your body. <clears throat> it can be, oh, so look, you know what? Let's do it here. We'll do it here. You guys got this chart, right? Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So you can have an ESBL infection in any part of your body. Now, what is an ESBL? Do you guys remember what was an ESBL? Extended spectrum beta lactamase producer. Remember, these are the ones that, these are the organisms that if you give certain antibiotics, you're poking the bear. Remember? So what are the organisms that have predominantly ESBL, um, uh, okay, so look. So E. coli can do it, right? But the big ones, the ones that have mostly the AMPC gene, right, the AMPC gene, are all the bacters. So, acinetobacter, acromobacter, citrobacter. If it ends in a bacter, it, high, it has highly AMPC gene, right? Proteus, serratia, pseudomonas, right? Are, are, are big ones, and they're all gram-negatives. There's no ESBL that's a, that, that's a, a gram-positive, okay? Because gram-positives don't create beta-lactamases like gram-negative do, okay? So any of these bacteria can be ESBLs. Now, in the brain, if you have meningitis, for example, and you're in the hospital, and you have a shunt, Right? You have to cover pseudomonas. Because you've been in the hospital, you have healthcare associated factors. So for meningitis, if it's, if it's an ESBL organism, the only thing that you guys can do here, right, whatever it is, whatever, uh, the only thing you guys can do here is give a carbapenem. Carbapenem. Okay? For meningitis, the only thing you can do is carbapenem. For sinus infection, you can only do a carbapenem. So this is nosocomial sinusitis, carbapenem. For lung, pneumonia, carbapenem. For abdomen, perforated bowel, anything that's perforated, right, or non-perforated. But you have a culture that has ESBL, carbapenem. <laughs> GU. Ah, now we get to our little, a little, a little antibiotics. So look, GU. It is pilo, carbapenem. Right. So in other words, it is pyelonephritis. So if I tell you guys that there's a patient that comes with a UTI. And has and has um, a positive urine culture for E. coli ESBL urine, but also has positive blood cultures, but they don't have fever and they don't have a white cell count. Is this a complicated UTI or non-complicated? What do you guys think? No fever, no nothing. Non-complicated. All right, good. I'm glad I asked that because you're wrong. All right. So look. All right, so let me give it to you this way. If you have a urinary tract infection and the bacteria goes from the urethra, everybody agrees? That's why females get more UTIs, shorter urethra. Urethra, bladder. That's when you start getting cystitis. That's when you start getting dysuria. It, 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 
it, you know, you have a little bit of pain upon palpation of the suprapubic area. Okay, but no fever. Everybody clear. But, so that's a simple UTI. Men generally don't have UTI. So if a man gets a UTI, even if it's in the bladder, it's already complicated. Okay? Now, if the UTI starts going up from the bladder into the ureters and infects kidney, it's pyelonephritis. And that is already a complicated UTI. <clears throat> the problem is, and where I got where I got you guys is, if you have a 80-year-old they're not gonna respond with fever like you and I. Their immune system is blunted. If you have a patient that has a COPD and is on steroids chronically for their COPD, the steroids dumb down the immune system. You're not gonna get a fever, right? So there's, there's, there's things that happen with your host that you have to take into consideration on how much they give you. HIV patients that have a CD4 count of less than 200, they're not gonna act like you and I, right? They're gonna come in with a severe infection, but their white cell gonna be normal. And you'll be like, oh my God, they have a bacteria in the blood, but they don't have a fever and they don't have a white count. So the bacteria in the blood and the bacteria in the urine is already telling you that this is complicated. Get it? So, pyelonephritis, right? Carbapenem with so if you have a typical pilo, it's super easy. Fever, flank pain, elevated white cell count, dysuria. Okay, that's pilo. But you can have bacteremia, so pilo with or without bacteremia. If you have bacteremia, even though you don't have a fever, and the urine comes back positive for ESBL in the urine, and then you look at the blood, and it's the same organism, where is it coming from? It's a urine. And this is a complicated UTI, okay? So for bacteremia, you can't give anything else other than a carbapenem. For pyelonephritis, you can't give anything else other than a carbapenem. Now, if you have a simple UTI, and it's only bladder, oh, a little bit of pain, oh, positive, positive urine culture, and, and that's it, okay. You can give phosphomycin or nitrofurantoin if the GFR is okay. Got it? Okay, so prostatitis, obviously, right? So prostatitis, so what if I give you guys uh, uh, um, a, a male, he's seven years old, comes into the hospital, complaining of fever, chills, um, and on admission to the hospital, uh, he, has, um, he has tender tenderness in the perennial area, fever, and positive blood cultures at 24 hours with gram negatives. You get a PSA level and the PSA is 20. So obviously this guy has prostatitis. So what are you gonna treat this guy with? He's bacteremic. What do you have to treat it with if it comes back ESBL? Carbapenem. Because you had a bacteremia. What is, the, what is the mortality of bacteremia, of gram-negatives in humans? 20%. It's a lot, right? So you have to go with the carbapenem. Now, if he has regular prostatitis, no bacteremia, maybe like a more indolent prostatitis, like a chronic prostatitis, right? No fever, no nothing of that, right? Then 
fosfomycin. And it's an ESBL, right, for fosfomycin. Um, so that's how, you, that's how you look at it, okay? So the guy comes in, comes into your office, um, has chronic pain in the perennial area, but no fever, no chills, he's otherwise chilling, and you do a post-prostatic massage. Because on the initial UA, you don't usually get anything. Why? Because the, the, the bacteria is actually, um, uh, the, the bacteria is actually embedded inside the prostate, inside the capsule, right? So it's completely out of the urinary tract. So unless you do a digital rectal exam and you press it, now it comes out. And now you do a prostatic massage. Now you only could do a prostatic massage in patients that have prostatitis that are not acute. If you do a prostatic massage in a patient that has fever and they submit it to the hospital, what are you going to do? You're going to make them back, but you're going to make them bacteremic, right? So it's contraindicated in acute prostatitis, but necessary in chronic prostatitis. So you do a post-prostatic massage, urine culture, and you get an ESBL, perfect drug for fosfomycin. Perfect, because other if I didn't have fosfomycin, right? Nitrofurantoin doesn't cover, doesn't penetrate the prostate. So what would I need to do for that patient? IV. IV what? Meropenem or IV erdapenem, right? If it's not pseudomonas, you would have to go with an, a, a carbapenem IV. Okay? So let me give you guys one more clinical scenario with prostatitis. So this is a 53-year-old a uh, a male that comes into the hospital and um, is complaining of, um, again, pain when he sits down, um, there's, there's perennial pain, and, um, and he has a history of diabetes, renal failure, and um, fifty-three, yeah. Um, so diabetes, renal failure, hypertension, And you do urine cultures, and the urine cultures show ESBL, E. coli. This is a sensitivity that you see on the urine culture. A, when you, when you test for phosphomycin, is resistant. B, sensitive to nitrofurantoin. C, um, let me write it down, because I, I want you guys to know because I can't have you guys um, fall for this one. All right. So this is ESBL whatever, okay? ESBL whatever. Pepsiella, E. coli, I don't care. Pseudomonas, whatever, ESBL. And by the way, you know how you know that it's an ESBL? It's resistant to third generation cephalosporin. And you know which one they test? <laughs> ceftriaxone. So if they test ceftriaxone and if ceftriaxone is resistant, it's an ESBL. So it comes back ESBL. So urine culture comes back ESBL. Now, phosphomycin, phospho is resistant. Nitrofurantoin, sensitive. Pepercillin tesobactam, sensitive. Meropenem, sensitive. Tobramycin, or aminoglycosides, resistant. All right. Um, and then one more. 
Seftazidim. Sensitive. Okay. So what do you choose? So which are the ones that stay sensitive here? You have four. So I gave you four choices to treat this patient, right? So nitrofurantoin, can you use nitrofurantoin for prostatitis? No. Good. So nitrofurantoin is out. Fosfomycin? That's resistant, so it's out. How about piperacillin tesobactam, zosin? Okay, you can use it, but it's the kidney. How about uh, tobramycin, yes or no? Resistant, no. How about ceftazidine? It's sensitive. It's an ESBL, so you can't. Okay, you can't. Um, so which is the choice that you got that you would do that you would choose here? So between meropenem and piperacillin sobactam. So raise your hands if you're with piperacillin sobactam. Really? Really? Wow, you guys are not falling for it, huh? Look, you know why I, th th this is a good example? Because sometimes the microbiology lab will give you, if it's an ESBL, it'll give you antibiotics, right, that you cannot use. Like what he said, you can't use ceftazidine even if it's sensitive. Why? Because you're poking the bear. And in three days, this guy's going to become resistant. Right? Same thing with pictazo. See, it's sensitive now because it has a taser back then, so it's still, it's still inhibiting enough to kill. But after three days, pictazo is going to poke the bear. Remember, the people that poke the bear are all of the other penicillins. So in other words, ampicillin, amoxicillin, uh, piperacillin, right? And then first generation, second, third generation cephalosporins. Now, fourth gen would have been not a bad choice, or you have to go with carbapenems. So don't fall for the trick in ESBLs. If you guys are in clinic, or you guys are, in, are rotating in internal medicine next year, right? And you see a urine culture, and it shows ESBL, and then it says sensitive to piperacillin and your team is ordering Zosin, or piperacillin say, mm-mm, that's an ESBL. You gotta use a carbapenem for that UTI, or you can use phosphomycin if it's sensitive, or nitrofurantoin if it's sensitive for a UTI, as long as it's not pilo, right? So that you have to be careful with. The same thing goes for, for lung. Like if you have a pneumonia, right, on a patient that's in the ICU, and it's an ESBL, guys, there's no way. You can't give that person piperacillin because that pneumonia you're gonna treat for seven to 10 days. And by the time day three comes around, you're poking the bear, Bye-bye. Let's take a break. Okay, break. Yeah. Oh, no, no. You don't want to take a break? All right, okay, all right, that's fine. Let's go. Oh, what time? Oh, it's, it's a seven today. Oh, so we're, oh, let's just, okay, that's it. All right. Oh, my God. All right. Have you seen one?